Welcome to Practically Happy, the podcast that helps you apply the science of well-being to your everyday life. I'm your host, Miranda Anderson, a master of applied positive psychology here to help you access some strategies for lasting happiness and fulfillment. Each week, we'll dive deep into the latest research and insights from the world of positive psychology. But this isn't just another academic lecture. Practically Happy is about getting practical. I will share how you might apply these findings to your everyday life so you can experience real and tangible improvements in your happiness. As a wife and mom of three, I understand the challenges of juggling a busy family life while striving for personal well-being. That's why I'll also be sharing my own stories and experiences along the way. Because let's face it, life can get messy. Through it all, we can find and create intentional moments of joy. So whether you're looking for ways to boost your mood, improve your relationships, or simply add more enjoyment to your daily routines, Practically Happy is your guide to a practical, happy life. Hey there, friends. Welcome back to Practically Happy. This is episode number 257. I'm calling it Happiness Three Ways. Today, I'm excited to give you an introduction to the three avenues to happiness that are recognized in the field of positive psychology. These are things that you've heard of before, even if you haven't heard the actual like scientific title before or you don't remember, and they are not mutually exclusive. We can pursue happiness in so many different ways, and usually the ways that we're intending to find our happiness will fall under one of these three umbrellas. So I wanted to give you an intro to what they are, what are these three ways to get to happiness, and explain a little bit about each, and then give you some reflective questions for you to think about, how am I pursuing this avenue of happiness in my life right now? Which one of these am I maybe putting a little bit more emphasis on? Which ones have I not thought about very deeply? Where could I kind of adjust or make small changes, meaningful changes, that will help me feel a little bit better? Before we dive into the episode, Happiness Three Ways, I want to share a new segment that I'm bringing around for season six that I'm calling The Book Nook. I often share about books that I've been reading and enjoying in my Peaks of the Week segment, and I decided to pull it out separate to once in a while, every month or so, share a couple of the favorite books that I've read in the month. I'm usually reading a couple books a week, maybe one to two books a week on average. And what I love to read spans the spectrum. I love nonfiction books. I've been reading a lot of scientific books. Now that I've sort of emerged from my burnout, we talked all about my burnout last week on the show. I'm excited and engaged again in nonfiction reading. For a while, I had to take a full break from like learning books and was just reading beach reads, basically. I am, I love fiction books. I love magic books. I, the only genre that I'm not super interested in reading is like murder mystery. I'm not, I'm not very interested in being scared or like being on my toes in a psychological thriller, but I do love all different kinds of books. And so Book Nook is a place for me to share a couple reviews, some thoughts, maybe give you some ideas of some great books that I've been reading and enjoying lately. Today I want to highlight two, and they're big, big, big time books, so you've probably heard of them already. I have read and loved both of them. In fact, both of them are books that I've been talking about with other people. I'm finding they're coming up in conversation, 
And if you haven't read them, or if you aren't a big reader, one of these books might be a good place to kind of get in. In fact, I'm going to start with the one that I think is more easy to jump right into, which is Demon Copperhead by Barbara Kingsolver. This book just won a Pulitzer Prize. It was one of the 10 best books of 2022 um, from the New York Times. It was an Oprah's book club selection, an instant New York Times bestseller. I love Barbara Kingsolver. I've been reading her books for years. I have not, however, read David Copperfield. Now, you remember that David Copperfield is a novel by Charles Dickens that was written in the 1800s. It was published probably around 1850. And it's an autobiographical novel, a complicated weaving of Dickens' own life. I have a good friend who is reading concurrently David Copperfield and Demon Copperhead. And I was like, gold stars for you. That sounds like a really interesting psychological process. And I loved Demon Copperhead. I didn't know much about David Copperfield until I started reading Demon Copperhead, which is called sort of a modern retelling of this story. Follows the same or similar plot lines with modern and very tragic stories. Demon Copperhead is set in the mountains of Appalachia. This is nearby where I live, you know, kind of West Virginia, uh, Tennessee area. And it's the story of a boy born to a teenage single mother in a single wide trailer without any assets. And this boy, Demon, goes on to brave really a lot of perils of foster care and child labor and athletic success and addiction, crushing losses. And it is fascinating terrible and sad and really, you know, infuriating and also so human. I listened to this book on Audible and I really appreciated the narration. It was really well done. It's a long book, super engaging, and I highly recommend it. The second book that I have absolutely loved that was also like a smash hit uh, it was published in May of this year, 2023, another instant New York Times bestseller, uh, an Oprah's book club pick. In fact, Oprah said this is maybe her favorite book she's ever read in her entire life. It's called The Covenant of Water. The book is written by an acclaimed doctor, the vice chair of medicine at Stanford University, Abraham Verghese. He also wrote Cutting for Stone, which is another fascinating book. The Covenant of Water spans three generations of a family living in Kerala on South India's Malabar coast. Again, this book is a fascinating narration to listen to. The author himself is the narrator, which is so fun because he's able to do the different accents of the different people depending on where they're coming from. He's able to explain things really intimately and inhabit the characters themselves. The story begins with the protagonist, a 12-year-old girl, being sent on a boat to her wedding where she's going to marry a 40-year-old widow. And from this beginning, we follow her all throughout her life, her family, her family's family, growing up, the hardship and loss and victories and challenges and faith of this incredible woman and those that she's surrounded by and those who come after her. It's been called a shimmering evocation of a bygone India and of the passage of time itself and a hymn to progress in medicine and to human understanding. Highly recommend The Covenant of Water and Demon Copperhead. If you're looking for an incredible story to pick up and read over the next month or two, 
as we head into the holidays, these are fascinating books. And that is The Book Nook. Now let's jump into Happiness Three Ways. For the rest of the episode, I'm just going to give you an overview of these three pathways to happiness. Remember, these are like layers that you can put on and take off. You can be pursuing one and another and another all at the same time. In fact, the way to achieve the most amount of flourishing in our lives is probably by sampling all three pathways to happiness concurrently. Let's start with hedonia, hedonic happiness. Hedonic happiness, I remember learning about in elementary school and then maybe again in junior high and high school. I remember learning that the pursuit of hedonic happiness was what the Greek philosophers were kind of all about, hedonism, seeking pleasure and the avoidance of pain as the ultimate goal in life. You've heard the term hedonism, right? This concept has been discussed in works such as Epicurus. Hedonic well-being is characterized by the pursuit of pleasure or enjoyment and the absence of suffering. Now, I want to pause here by saying that I grew up feeling like hedonic happiness was wrong. There was something wrong with seeking pleasure. That seeking well-being was sort of like the eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die. And I'm sure that that has a lot to do with my cultural religious upbringing, feeling like suffering is where we find joy, sacrifice is where we find joy, and enjoyment itself is something that we postpone for the afterlife. This is not what research would show us. Research tells us that the pursuit of pleasure and enjoyment in the moment adds to our ability to feel positive emotion and contributes to our overall well-being across our lifespan. We aren't meant to only put our heads down and you know, sacrifice and work hard. We also are meant to enjoy our life, enjoy the pleasures. In fact, there's an entire field around the idea of savoring pleasures, spending as much time in that moment of pleasure and enjoyment as possible to be able to really soak it up and and receive all of the benefits from it. So hedonic happiness is the idea that we are both seeking pleasure and avoiding pain. I think there's a little rub there that you need to recognize that if you were only in pursuit of pleasure and only in avoidance of pain, that you are not able to receive the entire full spectrum of what life has to offer. Pleasure and enjoyment in the moment, at every moment, will likely not allow you to experience some of the depth of happiness that comes through purpose and progress. But we'll get to purpose and progress in a minute. Let's talk about some ways that you can check in with your hedonia. Find out if you're allowing yourself the space to enjoy what life has to offer in simple moments of pleasure. I'm going to share a few ways, some specific examples, practical ways that you can enjoy hedonic happiness. The first one is savoring a delicious meal. Having a well-prepared favorite meal can provide this hedonic happiness. You experience the taste, the aroma, the overall dining experience can be a real source of pleasure and enjoyment. Add family and friends to that and it gets even better. Another one is relaxing with entertainment. 
watching a favorite TV show or a movie or reading your favorite book or a captivating book like one of the two I just mentioned for pure enjoyment can bring up this experience of hedonic happiness. It provides immediate pleasure and entertainment. I have to mention that I am a little bit of a busybody, and so until recently, I've always felt like I needed to couple a movie or a TV show at home. I don't do this at the theater, but at home with some sort of activity that feels like efficiency. So folding laundry or you know writing a to-do list or something else while I'm watching a show. I very rarely have allowed myself to just enjoy with, you know, my whole attention watching a show for entertainment's sake. And I'm learning to do that and really finding so much enjoyment. I've started a new series, actually a book that I read last year that I loved was called Lessons in Chemistry, and it's turned into a mini series on Apple TV. I started watching it a few days ago. They're about 45 minute episodes. And because I'm not on social media right now, it's been so fun to not have a reason to have my phone. Historically, I would also, you know, watch TV and look at my phone at the same time, which sort of dulls the experience on both levels. With my phone in a different room, I've been able to sit and really enjoy watching this miniseries. I've only seen a couple episodes so far, but things as simple as like acknowledging the costuming and the lighting and the colors and, you know, of course the acting. And But there was a scene yesterday in the show that uh, the protagonist, uh, Elizabeth Zott, and her boyfriend and fellow scientist, Calvin, are rowing and then they're swimming and they're sitting on a dock and there's just like three seconds of this scene where they're both in white sitting on a dock on a lake and it's just this absolutely picturesque moment and because I was there fully present I just felt like this the beauty of that scene come over me it washed over me and it felt so delightful to just enjoy what a beautiful moment that was captured in this in this TV series. And that is such a simple thing. It's such a little thing, but it added to my positive emotion in the moment. And this is what hedonic happiness does. Another activity is spending time with friends and family, socializing with your loved ones, sharing laughter and good times that can bring about hedonic happiness through joy of connection and positive interaction in the moment. Another activity is listening to music, enjoying your favorite music. Just turning it on and listening to your favorite melody can be an immediate source of pleasure. The same goes for desserts or treats. This would, you know, I'd put this in the same category as a delicious meal. Sometimes we think, though, that something sweet is like an indulgence and something that we need to put off or, you know, really regulate heavily. And there's something really beautiful about treating yourself and experiencing the pleasure of taste. Relaxing through taking a bath or getting a massage, those are great ways to experience hedonic happiness. This last year when I turned 40, I decided that I was going to enter my spa era, which means that I signed up, well, my husband signed me up as a birthday present for a monthly massage. Previously, I've enjoyed massages just on an ad hoc basis every once in a while, like a great once in a while. And it felt like a like a real pleasure, a real luxury. And I have absolutely adored looking forward to a monthly massage. It's just on my schedule. Every time I go, I make my next appointment. In fact, I have a massage tomorrow that I've been looking forward to. 
And I go and relax and smell the essential oils in the calming room and just have, you know, 60 to 90 minutes of pure physical pleasure. The warmth of the heated table and the smoothness of the oil and the flush of oxytocin that naturally occurs with human touch. Having, you know, and I work out, I do CrossFit, and I really love working my muscles hard. And that means I'm also usually fairly sore from one exercise or another. And so having some of that soreness worked out and my skin, you know, warmed by the massage therapist's hands, it's a really pleasurable experience. And adding that into just my baseline routine has felt quite life-giving. Hobbies could be called hedonic happiness. They are activities that we pursue for enjoyment's sake and not necessarily towards some greater end. I think that piece, that there's not really a build towards something bigger or better or some sort of achievement, prevents a lot of people from pursuing hobbies. They feel like it's a waste of time or a waste of energy or a waste of money to be engaging in interests that bring joy and satisfaction for their own sake. I will tell you that joy and satisfaction and pleasure in the moment are not in vain. Those things contribute to our ability to feel good overall in our lives. The more that we engage in positive emotion or activities that yield positive emotion, we're able to spiral upward and increase our capacity for feeling good. There are many more examples that you can think of on your own. The most important thing to remember is that hedonic happiness highlights the pursuit of immediate pleasure and enjoyment. The positive emotions are focused on the here and now rather than maximizing our eventual well-being. Hedonic happiness brings to us immediate pleasure and enjoyment. And that is wonderful. Let's take a quick break so I can tell you about this week's sponsor. Today's podcast episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. The end of the year can be a lot, and the wintertime itself, that transition into the colder, darker months in the Northern Hemisphere, can really do a number on you mentally. I've always struggled in the wintertime with having energy and feeling as optimistic as I do when the sun is shining. These things are really natural. A lot of people experience some sadness or anxiety about the seasons changing. And adding something new and positive to your life can counteract some of those feelings. In fact, a couple years ago, when I was working with a therapist through BetterHelp, she helped me to put together a little bit of a wintertime toolkit, emotional toolkit, where I used some practical ideas to increase the amount of enjoyment and happiness that I felt even in the winter months. One of the things that she helped me recognize would be really beneficial would be to be able to bird watch from inside. Together with her support and encouragement, I bought a couple bird feeders and put them right outside my back windows where I can sit snuggled up in a chair with a cup of hot tea and a blanket wrapped around me and enjoy identifying and feeling in connection with all of my favorite neighborhood birds, even when it's cold outside. Did you know that therapy can be really practical, can help you feel grounded, and give you the tools to manage the things going on in your life? If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your needs. To get started, you just fill out a questionnaire and you'll be matched with a licensed therapist in your area. And if it's not a great fit at first, it's okay. You can switch therapists at any time. 
Find your bright spot this season with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash LiveFree to take 10% off of your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash LiveFree for a 10% discount on your first month. There's not very much to lose and everything to gain by feeling better with some support from BetterHelp this season. Visit BetterHelp.com slash LiveFree for 10% off of your first month of therapy. The second pathway to happiness is eudaimonic happiness. That's a big word, I know. Eudaimonic happiness is a concept that also dates back to Greek philosophy, particularly Aristotle, who was obsessed with the idea of virtue and ethics. It's rooted in the idea that true happiness comes from realizing one's potential and fulfilling one's true nature. So you can already see the difference in hedonic happiness, the pursuit of pleasure in the moment, and eudaimonic happiness, which is realizing your potential or fulfilling your true nature, which may be something that takes a long time, something that you don't realize in the moment. Eudaimonic well-being is a foundational concept in positive psychology, and it's been developed into several different theories and measurements of psychological well-being, including elements like self-acceptance, positive relationships, autonomy, environmental mastery, personal growth, and purpose in life. All of these elements in these different theories contribute to the idea of a eudaimonic sense of well-being. I am going to shorthand hedonic happiness with pleasure, a P, pleasure, and eudaimonic happiness with a shorthand purpose. Immediately, you can, even in the energy of those words, feel the difference. Are you pursuing pleasure or are you pursuing purpose? There are some things that allow us to do both, and that's fantastic. We're going to focus right now in this next section on eudaimonic happiness. So eudaimonic happiness is characterized by this sense of purpose, self-realization, and personal growth. This idea or this pathway is often associated with living in accordance with your values and virtues. Here are some specific examples of pursuing eudaimonic happiness. First, pursuing a meaningful career. Finding a job that aligns with your values can help you make a positive impact on others or society as a whole and yield eudaimonic happiness. Teachers who are passionate about teaching despite some of the difficulties that arise in education, especially in the United States where it's not highly valued by you know, it doesn't yield a lot of money or a lot of prestige or power. Teachers often feel engaged in purpose as they teach, which yields eudaimonic happiness. Students going back to school and pursuing education for a higher purpose, aligning with their values, that can yield the same feeling, this overall satisfaction. Even though it's difficult in the moment, overall, it feels good. Having children and parenting is an example of the pursuit of purpose over pleasure. Anyone who has children knows that there are not moments of pleasure and enjoyment every single step along the way. There's a lot of really wonderful times and there's a lot of difficulty. There's a lot of hard times. There's a lot of figuring it out and knowing that even though it's hard, it's worth it. That phrase would be associated with eudaimonic happiness. Even though it's hard, 
it feels worth it. Engaging in acts of kindness may be an example of eudaimonic happiness, helping others, volunteering at a local charity, fostering the sense of purpose and fulfillment, being part of a community. These things align with eudaimonic happiness. The idea of setting and achieving goals would be highly associated with eudaimonic happiness. Hedonic happiness doesn't pursue long goals. It pursues pleasure in the moment. Eudaimonic happiness sees something out there in the future that can be worked towards and acknowledges that this, the pathway may be difficult. It may be challenging. It may not feel good the whole way. And it matters enough that we will set out on that pathway and we will accomplish that goal. Someone who values physical fitness may set a goal of exercising on a regular basis. Not every single second of exercise is going to feel amazing. You, you don't just fall over yourself with pleasure at the gym necessarily, <laughs> but it does feel good later. It feels good over time and it feels good as incrementally you get stronger. I'm going to sidebar for just a second here when I'm talking about physical activity, and this probably deserves its own podcast episode. There's been some fantastic research done recently about the moderator of enjoyment or hedonic happiness on exercise consistency. So if you enjoy your exercise with that hedonic happiness, that pleasure, you actually enjoy it while you're doing it, you are more likely to continue doing it consistently, which leads to that eudaimonic happiness of pursuing a goal and being fit over the lifespan. So here's a great example. And the article that I'm referencing specifically right now is by Rodriguez et al. from 2020. The Bright and Dark Sides of Motivation as Predictors of Enjoyment, Intention, and and Exercise Persistence. I will link that in the show notes. Generally, it says that the more you enjoy your exercise in the moment, the more likely you are to return and continue doing it. So that's a great example of hedonic and eudaimonic happiness overlapping in order for us to pursue both and feel better, like doubly better. All that said, if you want to get fit and be healthy in general in your life, you need to first have that in mind as a goal. That's the eudaimonic happiness where you kind of have this long-term goal in mind. And then the hedonic happiness of what do I enjoy doing? What feels good as I'm doing it? That can set you on a pathway for consistent pursuit of your long-term goal. Another example of eudaimonic happiness would be maintaining authentic and meaningful relationships. We all know the building and nurturing of relationships can be rigorous. It can be difficult And it requires more than just feeling happy all the time. There's, you know, a fairy tale story about falling in love and just being in love happily ever after. And the reality of relationships is that they take work, they take commitment, they take time. Sometimes there is self-sacrifice and boundary holding and uh, discomfort involved in the process of building a strong and long-lasting meaningful relationship. Those all point to eudaimonic happiness, to overall purpose and meaning rather than immediate pleasure and enjoyment. And again, hopefully your relationship can yield both. 
You can have moments of intense pleasure and enjoyment, momentary, moment by moment, you know, having a great time in a relationship and also stay committed even when those moments of enjoyment are interspersed with moments of challenge and difficulty. Other examples of eudaimonic happiness could be pursuing education, practicing mindfulness and self-reflection, living an overall healthy lifestyle where you're not only indulging in all of your favorite pleasurable foods, but you're also eating things that are good for you, uh, finding pleasure, finding enjoyment in things that might not be the highest amount of pleasure. You know, I would love to eat pizza and potato chips all day. And I also make space in my diet for things that I enjoy. I just maybe don't savor quite as much. And I actually really like a lot of healthy foods. I love vegetables. I like salads. I like roasted things. I like most proteins. And if there were a spectrum of like things that I am able to feel the most amount of enjoyment from when I'm eating them, and the least, the very, very healthiest things might not be on the higher end of the be- of the spectrum. They might be somewhere kind of in the middle. So we make those decisions to both savor and enjoy our food and also to eat foods that are good for us. I think with these examples, you get the idea of what eudaimonic happiness looks like and feels like. It's the activities and experiences that go beyond the pursuit of immediate pleasure and build upon each other to pursue meaning, fulfillment, and purpose. This is where personal growth, self-realization, and the alignment of our action with our values take precedence. Now, we've talked about pathway number one, hedonic happiness, and pathway number two, eudaimonic happiness. The third pathway to happiness is the most recently acknowledged in the field of positive psychology, and it's called psychological richness. The idea of psychological richness, like I said, is a newer concept in positive psychology, and it has roots in Csikszentmihalyi's notion of flow and Shige Oishi talking about psychological richness and the pursuit and curiosity and discovery. It refers to the idea that happiness and well-being can be derived from the diversity, depth, and complexity of your own psychological experiences. It emphasizes the richness of thoughts and feelings that go beyond mere pleasure or virtue and acknowledge that actively seeking and appreciating the richness of our thoughts, emotions, and interactions can lead us to profound happiness and meaning. I talked about hedonic happiness as pleasure and eudaimonic happiness as purpose I'm going to talk about psychological richness as progress. And maybe the scientists who study psychological richness and research it wouldn't agree fully with that simplification. Maybe it's an oversimplification to call psychological richness progress. But I like the idea of this depth of experience leading us to places even within our own minds that we haven't necessarily ventured. Some examples of psychological richness or progress in this way could be flow. You may have heard of the concept of flow. It was coined by Csikszentmihalyi, a researcher, and 
It's this state of deep engagement and absorption in an activity where our skills are well-matched to the challenge that we're facing. Engaging in flow activities can be across the board. They can be musical instruments. They can be solving a puzzle. They can be working on a project. They can be work-related or home-related or hobby-related. And the activity itself isn't what we're focused on. It's the absorption in it in this psychological state of flow. Flow would be an example of experiencing happiness through psychological richness that isn't immediately pleasurable. In fact, a lot of people report when they're in a state of flow, they sort of lose track of themselves and time. They're not intensely aware of the experience as it's happening. They almost are able to flow out of their ego and out of a sense of time and are just completely absorbed into the experience itself. It's later that they can reflect on it and say, wow, that, you know, I time just passed. I was just really absorbed in the art project or in the tennis match or whatever it is. And the moment itself isn't innately pleasurable and it's not innately purpose driven. It's something deeper than all of that, which is the experience itself being absorbing. Another example of psychological richness might be in creative expression, allowing yourself to express your thoughts and emotion in a rich and meaningful way that leads you to a sense of progress and fulfillment and happiness, even if the progress is just going deeper into your own understanding. Another example might be intellectual exploration. This could be the pursuit of intellectual interests, studying new subjects, having philosophical discussions, learning and exploring for the sake of broadening your experience rather than the pursuit of a long-term goal or the immediate pleasure of discovery. And again, all of those things may overlap in this process, but psychological richness feels like something different than pleasure or purpose. It's, it's something a little bit deeper. Another example of experiencing psychological richness may be exploring cultural diversity, traveling and engaging in curiosity and discovering new things. Most philosophy and existential exploration would fall into this category where there isn't a specific purpose that you're headed towards and it might not be immediately pleasurable in the moment, but you feel like you are uh, diving into explorations and understanding that otherwise you might not have. Overcoming challenges, this can be an example of psychological richness that isn't either purposeful or pleasurable, but it feels like progress. Maybe overcoming an unexpected challenge doesn't feel good, and it doesn't even necessarily lead you directly toward some higher goal that you might have, but it does deepen your current experience. It does enable you to unlock emotions and relationships, even with yourself that you might not have otherwise had. So the progress can go beyond a purpose or pleasure. And that encompasses this sort of third pathway of psychological richness. In a 2021 paper called A Psychologically Rich Life Beyond Happiness and Meaning, authors Shige Oishi and Aaron Westgate created a table to share some of the key factors of these different pathways to happiness that I have talked about in today's show. So as a recap of the episode, I'm going to share just some key features and facilitators of 
hedonic happiness, the pursuit of pleasure, eudaimonic happiness, the pursuit of purpose, and a psychological rich life, the pursuit of progress. So the key features of hedonic happiness are comfort, joy, security, and the facilitators of that, according to this article, are money, time, relationships, personal satisfaction, and a positive mindset. Next, eudaimonic happiness, or the pursuit of purpose, the key features are significance, coherence, moral principles, and and values. And the facilitators are consistency, relationships, spirituality, and societal contribution, feeling like you're contributing to a higher good. And then third, the psychologically rich life or the pursuit of purpose. The key features here are variety, interest, perspective change, and curiosity. The facilitators are time, energy, spontaneity, and wisdom. What you're aiming for in each of these three pathways to happiness is slightly different. This is happiness three ways, pleasure, purpose, and progress. All three of those may overlap in some areas of your life. They may be really distinct in other areas of your life. And I want you to just take a minute now as this episode's wrapping up to consider, is one of these pathways to happiness your chosen pathway? Like which one of these is your go-to? Where do you see when you think of the way that you spend your time and resources, the way that even your days are divided up, where are you most heavily invested? And can you or how can you broaden your reach so that you're touching on a little bit of all three, that you're allowing yourself to experience happiness all three ways, immediate pleasure, that is satisfying and and joyful and lovely and also purposeful pleasure that may take a little bit more grit up front but leads you to a deeper enjoyment and longer lasting fulfillment and a widening of your viewpoints through curiosity and wisdom and exploration and diversity of understanding and thought that comes through a psychologically rich life. As I mentioned at the beginning of the show, we're somewhere near the beginning of the show, I recognized as I was preparing for this episode and learning about this in my program that I have at the same time really loved pleasurable hedonic experiences and also felt bad about them. Like I I acknowledge that I have learned culturally and religiously that Pleasure, for its own sake, is not necessarily worthy of pursuit. And it I think it's been good for me to expand that viewpoint philosophically, <laughs> maybe touching on some psychological richness here of just digging into how I might be wrong about that. How some of us, some cultures, some ideals, some uh, viewpoints may have gotten that wrong. That there is a place for all three of these pathways to happiness in our lives and that they all probably needs some temperance as well. If we're only pursuing pleasure, we might miss out on some deeper fulfillment and purpose in our life. It may eventually burn up. If we are only pursuing purpose and fulfillment in the long term, we may miss out on a lot of the day-to-day small moments of joy and enjoyment and awe and savoring and wonder that can, you know, really are meant, I think, to dot our lives with bright lights along the pathway. And if we're sticking solely to the pathway in front of us, 
if we aren't looking outside of what we may be naturally and easily exposed to based on where we were born and who we were born to and where we live and what language we speak, we may miss out on the exploration and the real joy of discovery and curiosity that is characteristic of a psychologically rich life. As I wrap up today, I want you to know that happiness can be achieved through various means. Not only these three that I've talked about today, but other things as well. These are, in terms of positive psychology, the three main pathways that are discussed as we are characterizing different activities and pursuits. And all three of them are valid. All three of them matter. One isn't more important than another. And your challenge now is to consider in what ways is your life right now walking along any of these three pathways and are there opportunities to open yourself up to alternative or new experiences of happiness that you might not have otherwise considered. What is the good life for you? It could be made up of pleasure and purpose and progress. I hope you have a wonderful week pursuing happiness, however you may find it, and I'll chat with you next time. Bye-bye. the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.